This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of October 31st, 2016, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 404 of Defender Radio. 91% of people in British Columbia oppose the trophy hunting of grizzly bears. And these people come from all demographics and geographic regions in the province. Economic studies have shown that grizzly bear viewing is the future of ecotourism in British Columbia, significantly outperforming the guided hunts. And First Nations people on whose traditional land many of these hunts take place, are condemning a government that ignores their wishes. But still, the hunt goes on. Those who lobby for this bloody activity have a new opponent to face down. Lush Cosmetics. The ethical business that has supported many social and environmental causes around the world, including the Fur Barrier's own Make for History campaign, have entered the ring with plans for a knockout punch. Trophy, a documentary presented by Lush with the vision of their in-house director, Inder Nirwan, looks at the issue of grizzly bear trophy hunting across North America and asks the ultimate question, can we truly justify killing these animals for sport? On this week's episode, Defender Radio connected with Douglas Nislaus, Chief Counselor and Resource Stewardship Director of the Kittisu High Highs First Nation, to discuss the traditional and economic importance of the grizzly bear to his nation, as well as his experience dealing with a provincial government that simply isn't listening. We also spoke with Lush Cosmetics' Inder Nirwan, the director and primary filmmaker behind Trophy. And that's where we'll start this week. The obvious question that most people are going to ask right off the top is why is a cosmetics company making a movie about the trophy hunts? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, just to give you a little bit of history about Lush, we've always been a campaigning company. It's uh, uh, our, it's like from the root of our founders has been that um, we're a company that wants to really contribute and um, be a part of the sort of communities that we're in, as well as in the communities that we're doing business in. And so that's more than just you know, uh, uh, economically and being a retailer in those spaces. So we, um, we have, uh, a, we're really kind of core to our values, uh, uh, and we try to use our resources when and where we can and when it's appropriate to, um, speak out about issues that we feel like, um, we should and could. And, um, we've been campaigning, uh, we've been doing what are called ethical campaigns since the beginning of, um, Lush and, uh, We've gotten pretty good at them, actually. Uh, we've built up a bit of a campaign machine that can uh, generate a lot of um, conversations as well as generate a lot of uh, money um, that we can then put towards causes that we're really passionate about. Well, and the fur bears have been on the receiving end of that, and it has made a big difference, not just for us, but for the animals. And I know many, many organizations have benefited from everything from the charity pot program that Lush operates right up to sort of direct funding. Um I guess then I I sort of have to ask why the trophy hunt, though. I I can understand that uh, a number of these these issues uh, sort of connect nicely into what Lush does with cosmetics. You have your animal testing or fashion. The trophy hunt, though, is a very sort of geographically based, big environmental type issue. So why the trophy hunt? 
Well, I mean, you, you touched on it a little bit. I mean, uh, animal welfare is one of the core values of our company. And like you mentioned about um, the finding animal testing stance that we take very rigorously, um, we care about expanding on that in every which way we can. And where we're seeing sort of um, the trophy hunt as uh, this very cruel and sort of inherently pointless um, uh, practice that um, through our charity pot partners that are working on the issue from sort of various grassroots levels, um, when they come together, they just, their stories add up to the point that just the hunt itself is uh, not very sustainable nor economically viable. So we kind of wanted to um, raise the issue uh, within the community that, you know, we're in. We're in British Columbia. We care about British Columbia and the welfare of the people and the environment and the, especially the animals that are here. So we felt like this was a great opportunity for us to um, leverage our resources to raise awareness about um, what's going on. And not only that, I mean, it's in speaking with our charity pot partners and with um uh, even within our customer base, like uh, trophy hunting just sort of anecdotally is widely unaccepted as far as we can tell. So to learn that it's happening so close to home and that it's sort of happening is in like the un, just underneath the surface, not everybody knows about it. It's something that um, we thought, you know, we should make a little bit of noise here and uh, see what we can accomplish. Yeah, it's, it's a, a very divisive issue when it comes up. Um, and what, what I find very interesting uh, is that the actual polling shows in sort of in the quiet outside of the public eye, outside of a public forum, 90% of people in British Columbia oppose this trophy hunt. But when you walk into a public forum, all of a sudden it becomes a much more divisive issue. So it definitely has some very powerful uh, um politics behind it um but i want to talk a bit about the the film with you this this is uh i i got to see a bit of a preview of it uh it is released for full download uh november 1st which i'm going to ask about but first i got to say it uh, it is a beautiful piece of, of film the the footage of the bears the interviews the whole thing is seamlessly put together and it really is just wonderful to watch uh so congratulations to you on a job very well done in that regard Thank you very much. Uh, um, and uh, I've got a lot of questions about the film. So I want to start with what was your vision? I mean, as sort of the filmmaker um, in various roles from from shooting to editing uh, this 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 film, what was your vision for it when you started? Well, um, that's a good question. And when we started out, um, there was, you know, this is an issue that I knew nothing about. So walking into um, a room full of um, organizations that are partnered with Lush who are working on the issue um, on various fronts and have been doing so uh, for their entire careers, um, it was apparent to me that there's uh, a lot at stake here than more than just, you know, the well-being of these beautiful animals. And so um, just in meeting with um, the people that are involved uh, sort of at a grassroots level, um, there's there were all these great stories of how the trophy hunt is actually affecting people and communities and economy. And there's a whole, you know, sort of a backstory to be told here. And so that very quickly became the narrative of the film. Um, as much as it is about grizzly bears and the issue is told through the eyes of the people that are actually living through um, that life and that are dealing with the ramifications of there being a government sanctioned trophy hunt in British Columbia. So that's, that's kind of what um, 
that was the glue that stuck it all together. Um, and, and of course, part of the the process of this film is that it is going to be released for full download at no cost to anybody who wants it on November 1, um, which as we, we plan the recording and uh, distribution of this podcast should be tomorrow. Um, now, I, I've met with uh, filmmakers in the past. I've interviewed producers. Typically, when we see something of this quality uh, and of this importance, it is sold to a television station. Um, it is made available for purchase on iTunes. There's, there's a lot of ways people sort of distribute it in a for-profit scenario. What was the decision making behind Lush making this uh, this uh, what I, I imagine is a labor of love for you and, and uh, a, a wonderful film, just absolutely free, no strings attached? Well, uh, it was really important to us that we make the film as accessible as possible. So we didn't want to deter anyone from uh, taking the opportunity to watch the film and listen to the people in the film by there being some sort of a monetary um, you know, expectation on them. Um, and as well, we didn't want to create any kind of like um, – barrier for people to access the film so there's no subscription model there's nothing that you have to sign up for it is available to stream and download uh for your own keeping or for your own if you want to screen it publicly you have the the rights to do that and um yeah for us this this was never um uh, an attempt to um reach a new audience and then and solicit money from them. This is uh, something that we felt like we could educate people on. We have the resources to absorb the cost to do it. And so if you have uh, the ability to do it, then you have the responsibility. So that's that's always been our attitude. In the film, there there was use of graphic footage. It's not overt, uh, but it is some of the, the, the footage of hunts. Some of it we've seen before, I think. Uh, and I know that is frequently a a difficult decision or one that at the very least is talked about greatly by filmmakers and again that's from me as the 15 second facebook campaign video up to the fellows who made you know the feature length cowspiracy documentary so how did you decide what to use and why to use it in regards to the hunt footage um well, I mean, it was important to us to uh, demonstrate the reality of what's going on here. I mean, uh, one of the core themes of the film, uh, and while we have a very obvious stance of what we believe uh, in terms of um, the trophy hunt, we uh, are using the film as a means to pose that question to the audience. Um, the film ends with a question actually literally on screen saying, should we be killing for fun? And uh, in order to ask that question, I thought it was important to uh, demonstrate what that looks like, and if, and and just kind of show it in its in its raw format of of here's what's happening, and here's um, the the type of people that seem to be enjoy doing this, and um, I think by having that in the film, it's um, it's a means for people to really decide for themselves that is this like if this is what it looks like is it something that we as a society should be accepting so without showing it i don't think we could ask that question i think that's a very fair and even response but i i am going to counter it and say something that we frequently hear from the lobbies who are very much against uh uh the change to things like trophy hunting uh, and that is that you're intentionally trying to elicit an emotional response um so that decisions are made on emotion not science uh, is that a concern that you you are trying to to push people into an emotional decision? Well, I mean, 
I think the science is demonstrated and the reasonings behind uh, the um, sort of the the various tangent arguments that people make uh, for trophy hunting, whether it is the science or the economics or the fact that it's like uh, it's true to um, their heritage as a uh, hunter gatherers that grew up in the bush. Um, all of those uh, uh, are talked about in the film. And so and they're talked about by people that um, have an opinion on those because that they live those lifestyles as well, or they're working in the sciences on the, on, on the ground, um, looking at those numbers and that information. So when we're showing the footage of what's happening, um, I mean, if you want to call it sensationalizing, I would say that that footage exists because, um, those hunters in that particular circumstance that made those films of themselves shooting bears were also sensationalizing what they were doing. And that's a part of the thing that the trophy hunt, the idea of trophy hunting is sort of a sensationalist activity. It's something that it's driven by ego. It's something that people do to celebrate themselves and celebrate their success in killing another animal and then filming themselves and putting it on the internet. Um, you know, yeah, we want to highlight that that's what's happening. And I think that's uh, uh, a very good point. And it's, a frequent romantic, I can't even say the word anymore, um, is very quickly romanticized by the hunting lobby, by trapping lobby. Uh, we even see in some of the HBC commercials right now talking about our heritage. Um, and it's something that is, is very difficult to explain to someone who doesn't want to hear the other side of it. Uh, and I think you do a, a, a masterful job of just trying to present it like, you, you know, the sort of you, people saying, I want to be close to this animal. Uh, well, this isn't, you know, this is not interacting with this animal. Um, and one of the other themes that comes up throughout the film, which I found very interesting, um, and I think it was said probably most beautifully by Charlie Russell, a, a great bear expert who whom I have had the uh, wonderful opportunity to, to meet and uh, listen to, uh, he said, do we want to kill these animals or do we want to live with them in a beautiful way? And while we're talking about the trophy hunts and we're talking about grizzly bears, it does feel like we are asking a much bigger question uh, through this film. And we are, we're being told to think about the natural world in a bit of a different way. Is that intentional or did that just sort of sneak itself into the, the process? Uh, I think that's something that developed throughout um, the production of this film was the realization that, you know, what we're really talking about here is more of the question of what do we want to leave behind as our legacy as a species? And it said in the film as well, like, how do we want to interact with other species? How do we want that? We need to agree on what that should look like. Because, um, you know, all of these sort of... Um, uh, discussions in and around the economics, the ecology, the sciences, all these things. I mean, at the end of the day, these are a lot of these are just like very um, man-made um, problems that we seem to have created with the grizzly bears caught in the middle. When at the end of the day, the question is simply remains, you know, whether or not we should be killing other animals for fun, um, despite there being any kind of uh, system or benefit that we think that exists by doing that it's like the actual act of itself and i think that's what charlie russell speaks to so beautifully is um yeah it's more than just what's being talked about here it's it's about how we interact how we want to coexist 
To check out Trophy yourself, head over to TrophyFilm.com, where it is free to stream as of November 1st. More information about Lush and their ethical campaigns can be found at Lush.com. Defender Radio will be right back after these messages. First, they tear a hole in your roof. Then they get in, destroying your insulation, chewing your electrical wiring. Raccoons and squirrels are eating away at your biggest investment, your home. I am Brad Gates of Gates Wildlife Control. Don't wait any longer. Call Gates Wildlife Control. We'll humanely get them out and keep them out. We will come to your house and provide you with a no-obligation free estimate. Please visit us at GatesWildlifeControl.com or call 416 416- After a night out with your friends, there are always options for getting home safely. You could call your BFF, take a cab, or maybe you'll grab the last bus. Now there's a smartphone app to help you choose your ride. Find out more at arrivealive.org. Turn your passion into compassion and education with Make Fur History campaign packs from the Fur Bearers. Leaflets, stickers, and more are available at thefurbearers.com or by calling 604-435-1850. You are listening to Defender Radio. Grizzly bears are a part of life for the people of the Kittisoo High Heights First Nation. They even found ways of capturing their value economically in a non-consumptive way. That is, viewing and not killing the bears. But despite this cultural, social, environmental, and economic importance, many First Nations people feel that the government of British Columbia isn't listening to them, and is inappropriately using their lands. To discuss this, Defender Radio was joined by Kittisoo High Heights First Nation Chief Counselor and Resource Stewardship Director Douglas Nieslos. Well, I think what you and I first spoke about was actually the the incorporation of traditional knowledge with the science, and that's something I, that I find I still find very fascinating. Uh, how has that research helped understand grizzly bears and, and their? both traditional value and their modern ecological value uh, to, to your people and to the people of British Columbia as a whole? Well, I think, you know, I, I mean, I don't think Western science does a really good job at incorporating traditional ecological knowledge. And, and we found that, uh, you know, fairly challenging, uh, whether it's at government-to-government tables or whether it's talking at some of the science tables. And, um, and so, you know, basically... Um, we started to partner up with academic institutions and started to bring people in, started to bring some of the science in. Uh, part of it to kind of validate traditional ecological knowledge. I mean, you know, I think for a lot of us, we're out here. I mean, we live in these areas. We see these things. We smell these things. I and mean, we, we know what's going on. On top of that, we have the knowledge from our elders that's passed on from generation to generation. And, uh, you know, I think that's extremely valuable. And I just don't think it's as respected as it could or should be. So, um, you know, the way I see it now, I think a lot of people want to see... Um, you know, peer-reviewed science, uh, you know, from someone with a PhD behind their name. And, um, you know, I think we're taking that knowledge and we're merging that with some of the Western science. I mean, some of these scientists can't collect that data without the knowledge of local people. And I think that's what we're doing is bringing both uh, forms of information to the table. And I think that's extremely uh, valuable. So, 
in terms of how businesses are made. It certainly is, and it, I know it's also played a role in uh, actually just data collection, just in terms of the non-invasive uh, uh, use of the the uh, hair barbs, I think they're called, or fur barbs, uh, which are, are becoming more and more valuable. But knowing where to place them, how to place them, that comes from that traditional knowledge, that intimacy with the, the grizzly bears of your region that uh, I think you simply can't get without that generation-old knowledge. Um, now, as we go forward into this world of the trophy hunt, there's a lot of people who um, assume the government has worked with First Nations. And there are times when the government itself indicates they have. How should we, uh, outsiders to this issue, both uh, in terms of, I, I would say, sort of the urban folks uh, and people living outside of First Nations in British Columbia and to people like me living in an urban center on the other side of the country, how should we or interpret what involvement the First Nations people as a whole have had in regards to a trophy hunt in British Columbia? I think we should take it with a grain of salt. Um you know what, uh, there's been very little research uh, on bears. You know, I live in the Great Bear Rainforest. It spans quite a large area, 103,000 square kilometers. And we just haven't, you know, all my years in the field, I've worked 14 years. A lot of times I'd be out there six, seven months out of a year, uh, you know, walking almost every single river in my territory. And not once have I ever come across a bear biologist. But yeah, I hear them. I hear the province claim that they have sound science. And I just, well, I ask, well, what is sound science? I have, I've never seen anyone do any science up here. So, you know, so we, we hired a scientist to go and look at how the government does their science. And we found out very quickly that it's just someone sitting behind a computer down in Victoria crunching uh, numbers based on this, this habitat model that, you know, it's looking at some map. And, you know, they say, here's how many trees there are. Here's, you know, therefore there's so many bears there should be. Um, and there's lots of gaps in the data. And so we've been trying to explain that. We've been trying, you know, I mean, I know one of the issues we had up here is, um, you know, grizzly bears are moving from the mainland because of declining salmon. They're moving over to the islands. And we try to tell the province that, listen, you got to look at, you know, grizzly bear habitat on islands. And they said, you know, what data do you have? What data? You know, and I said, oh, wait, I got photos. I got GPS. I got video. What do you guys want? I'll send it all over. And they said, well, you know, they said, Doug, you know, there's some people that mix up their bears. Some people don't know their bears. And I said, well, just, you know, I've been a bear guide for more than half my life, you know. So I think I know the difference between a black bear and a grizzly bear. And uh, and then they went and said, um, you know, Doug, you're not a scientist. You're not a biologist. And you can't be making these sort of allegations. But even though it's a bear guide, you know, I've been watching these bears for years. I saw them I've been watching for the last 12, 13 years. So, um, you know, there's very little, very little consultation, um, you know, and, and just how they make their decisions is absolutely crazy. And I just, I just got a proposal on my table a few days ago on wildlife allocation. So um, they want to know about, uh, you know, how much do First Nations need? And, but there's no one out here actually doing all the numbers. So I asked them about the science. They just don't have it. Well, and that's something I, I'm very glad to hear you say. And this, it makes the the nerdy uh, uh, journalist in me very happy because there was, and I'm sure you're aware of the, the report that just came out from Ministry of Forest Lands and Natural Resource Operations that they actually paid to have done. So it's kind of the whole thing to me is in a bit of a shadow in that regard. But looking at their policies regarding grizzly bear procedures uh, um, and population estimates, and the government has sort of slapped themselves on the back and said, good job. They said the word rigorous, so we're happy. But when you actually read the full report, there are significant issues. And one of them is that um, 39% of the province's grizzly bear populations are based not on the modeling, but on expert opinion. And the expert opinion is the regional managers, as far as I know. 
so the people who are involved with managing the grizzly bear trophy hunt for the province. So how does that hit you that they are saying 39% of our estimates are based on what this guy says, but what you say, a person who has spent their life around uh, this area, who, who has spent half his life looking at these animals and following them, uh, your opinion doesn't count. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, it, I think that's very problematic. I mean, I just, I, I don't think the province knows how to manage. I don't think they have a clue how many bears. I would ask them how many bears there are in the Great Bear Rainforest right now. They, you know, actually, I did ask them that question a few years ago, and they had no idea, no clue. Um, so I just, you know, again, I just know they don't invest any money in science, and um, we just haven't seen anything up in these areas. And I looked, I, I read that report, and I thought that report was ridiculous. And I think you're probably going to find the. Um, um, you're probably going to find the Auditor General's report when it comes out talking about all the gaps and some of the, the science. And I had a discussion with the Auditor General that's doing a doing a report on you know if the province is managing grizzly bears sufficiently. And um, and you know so the province asked me. Well, I, mean, I mean the Auditor General asked me when the province says they claim sound science. You know what does that mean and how does that look and, and what does the province mean when they say they have sound science and it. I just know they don't, and it's been really frustrating because I just, um, you know, they make decisions with no information, and I just think that's not the way to go. That's not management. So yeah, and there's certainly a lot of that. Again, when you, if you sit and look at that 55-page report they did, the cover, I would say, the cover letter makes it sound good, and the key points makes it sound okay. But when you really dig into some of the data they're referencing, and, and I don't know how this was written without these things being the priority. But again, they're pointing some major flaws, like an unreliable and lack of funding, just like you just said. Uh, they said, you know, you're, you're expecting this ongoing research, but you're not funding it. And the people who are doing the research don't know if they're going to get funded for next year. So like you're, you're, you're pretty much throwing darts at a board without looking um, and hoping you have enough darts left over. Uh, it, it, it is somewhat frightening. Um, and definitely reflects a lot of what you uh, have said uh, about the issues. Yeah, well, we, you know, I think a lot of the coastal first nations communities have recognized that there's a huge gap. You know, one of the challenges when we try and talk about wildlife policies or some of their management, uh, the province always goes back to their their science and say that they have science. So we sort of debunk. You know, we know they don't have any sound science, and so first nations communities have started taking it upon themselves to start doing the science, and we sort of, you know. We, we do a lot of fundraising. Uh, we partner up with all the academic institutions. We bring up all the scientists. We bring some local people, so they bring local knowledge to the table, and now we're driving our own science. And so, you know, we've been at our bear research project. This is going to be our sixth year uh, doing our bear research this year. And, uh, you know, we invest a ton of money in the bear research. Uh, just for my community alone, about 150 grand a year. On the South Coast, we invest about half a million dollars a year on bear research, just bear research, not including the salmon, marble mirrorlet, tailed fraud, northern goshawk, mountain goat, all of those things that we do it because we believe decisions should be based on information and we just know that the province doesn't have any information. So um, we've set up our own work. I know, you know, those communities like Bella Bella, like Bella Coola, like Rivers Inlet, like Clem Two that have done some amazing work and we'll continue to bring that information to the, the government government tables to uh, shape some of those discussions on policies and, and wildlife management. So well, and what's interesting, too, is the work that uh, is happening in the Great Bear Rainforest outside of what the government is doing has actually shown to be economically beneficial to everybody involved. Uh, I, I'm looking at a story from the National Observer uh, that's talking about how um, uh, since 
a certain amount of funding went in uh, to the 2006 Great Bear Rainforest Agreements, there has been a lot of uh, benefit and growth to the local economy. So again, that kind of illustrates this whole, why are we only talking about a trophy hunt uh, uh, issue that seems to keep coming up? Uh, what what is the what is your attitude about that? That sort of it's a trophy hunt or bust very much in government policy these days. No, I mean I think it's it's a lot larger than that. I mean, um, you know, for us, uh, you know, I guess uh, first and foremost, I mean, I, we we see the trophy hunt as a, as a violation of our cultural practices. You know, I think through our ten thousand year old history, you know, we've learned to respect wildlife, and um, you know, that's something that's really important for us. We don't. Um, uh, you know, we just don't think coming and shooting something for sports and not eating it is uh, is not. It's just it's unacceptable. It's just not not the way to go. But also, I think we're trying to prove that there's new ways of of looking at economics. You know, it just doesn't have to be the traditional forestry or fishing like it used to be. Um, there are new opportunities that are coming, and that's what our young generation has to bring forward. Is that you know, there's things like ecotourism, and I've been a part of. Uh, developing an ecotourism here in my community, and and have you know I did that for 13, 14 years of my life, and um, and I remember when we first started, we started out as a small two-man operation, and we slowly started to grow the business. And uh, and I remember there was a lot of people that were uh, skeptical when we first started the industry, even in my own community. And people said, "Doug, there's no way you're going to bring people up to this remote island in the middle of nowhere to come and view bears," you know. And um, and I'm you know proud to say today, you know, this year we just hired um, you know 50 people, and uh, we're make about 1.5 million dollars. Um, which is huge, and that's mm-hmm. $5 million more than trophy hunting will bring in, because not $1 comes into local communities from trophy hunting. Well, and I think it's also very important that this is something you have ownership over. I mean, from that sort of larger sociological perspective, this is not uh, uh, the government saying this is going to happen, and you will somehow maybe benefit through trickle-down economics. I mean, this is a, a, a an industry that you have created, maintained, and growing that is clearly benefiting uh, remote and rural communities significantly. And I, I don't know how that isn't the priority right now and why that's not being lauded as the future for the province of British Columbia. Absolutely. And I think they got to look up all the spinoff. I mean, just in our community from tourism alone, that 1.5 million that we're going to make this year, you know, we haven't even count, you know included the spinoff from that. That's just direct revenue to the lodge. We haven't even talked about the revenue it brings in from our fuel station to fuel up the boats. We haven't even talked about the food from the, the stores, the bound stores that we're, that we're purchasing. We haven't even talked about the airlines, you know, the, the gas flying in from all the different airlines. You know, so when, There's so many spinoff benefits. I think that you know, we need to look at the big picture and we need to look at you know, where the future of economics are in the Great Bear Rainforest. I mean, 85% of the Great Bear Rainforest is now um, protected from logging. And I think up here, you know, we need to look at new opportunities. And I think tourism is going to be a big part of our future moving forward. And uh, I hope the province has to, to recognize, the, you know, those kind of opportunities and, and start to, uh, you know, protect these these animals so that, you know, there's, I mean, this is the future. I mean, we're fighting for survival. I, I live in a remote area that's extremely hard to do business. And, um, you know, we found something that works up here. And, um, you know, I think uh, we're creating uh, jobs without any resource extraction. You know, you can go do bears. Um, and that's amazing. But, you know, you have one person goes and shoots that bear, that bear is gone forever, you know. And um, and so I just think there's, there's a clash of industries. It's a clash of our culture. It's a clash of the economics. Um, you know, I, there's so many things that just don't make any sense. And, um, you know, so I hope the government starts to listen. You know, I think the province needs to start to wake up. And, you know, problems, you know, the, you know, the day governments are supposed to represent the people. 91% of British Columbians are calling for an end, uh, you know, for the end of trophy hunting. And, um 
not one political party has stepped forward and said they're going to take a position on it. I think, uh, you know, people need to start putting pressure on these governments to start making those sort of decisions. Well, we certainly hope that's something we might see as a result of this film that uh, Lush has put together. In addition to your ongoing work, I think it's really going to highlight some of these issues. Um, and there's, there's two things I want to touch on uh, before we finish today. Uh, actually, three things, that was a lie. Uh, the first is a comment that I constantly see um, from hunters, not just trophy hunters, uh, but I do feel that a lot of hunters, a lot of people in the hunting lobbies get their backs up when you talk about stopping some form of hunting because they feel it's it's an attack on their person, uh, which it clearly isn't. Um, so, you know, whether we're talking about the use of uh, deadly traps on public trails in urban areas or we're talking about stopping a trophy hunt in rural British Columbia, they see that as an attack on their way of life. So one of the things they will constantly say is, even if the population numbers aren't quite right in British Columbia, there is no risk of extinction to grizzly bears because they're only taking around 300 a year. How do you respond to something like that? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard this discussion several times, uh, a number of arguments. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a First Nations person and we're, you know, we're, uh, you know, we're a substantive society. We, you know, we, we're very nomadic. We still rely on a lot of the... Uh, you know, traditional types of food, and we still harvest, um, you know, different types of uh, food, but we have uh, a lot of respect for them, and we're taught to respect and also to give thanks for those types of animals, and um, it just bothers me when people come in and shoot animals for sport, and we're taught very strictly from as young kids, you know, until adults, you know, how to have respect for these animals and make sure you're taking care of those animals, make sure that there's, there's something there for the future, and, um, you know, I, it, I think you'll find that most hunters will agree with that, you know, most hunters, um, uh, you know, believe you should uh, you should eat what you kill, and you know I think uh, you know that's the issue. So when I see things, you know, people hunting for things like grizzly bears, nobody eats grizzly bears. Why are they hunting them? You know, it doesn't matter whether you're an overseas trophy hunter or whether you're a resident of British Columbia or Canada. You know, you just if you're not going to eat it, don't shoot it. And um, you know that's I think that's our argument. That's always been our argument. Um, so I just and I have a problem also even with the argument on conservation i always hear them say well you know we're the biggest conservationists and we invest two hundred thousand dollars a year in conservation well we wouldn't need to invest any money on conservation if you weren't shooting all these animals i just think that's ridiculous (laughs) yeah i I just it makes me happy to hear you say that sir uh because i yelled at my television and get in trouble from my wife so having someone else say it uh makes me feel better about myself uh now one of the other things that comes up in, in in trophy the film um is the, the wonderful quote um, by Charlie Russell, who says, and this was echoed, I think, by pretty much everybody, uh, including yourself in this film, is do we want to kill these animals or do we want to live with them in a beautiful way? And while we're talking about trophy hunting as sort of the theme, that concept of living with wildlife, of, of coexisting and co-flourishing in the ecosystem as human beings with other animals really does kind of come up a lot is that something that as a uh, larger society as a world population we need to be looking at on a regular basis absolutely um you know i think my people have, have had a long history of living with bears i mean some of our, our biggest uh, cultural villages were uh were areas where there was an abundance of bears you know where, where the, you know people had to learn to share the rivers and share the salmon, share the estuaries, 
um, you know, share all the the uh, flora and fauna with them. I I just think that there's ways you can coexist with them, and you know, I've had the opportunity uh, to spend a ton of time with bears. And I remember when I first started, you know, I was like a lot of people and, and didn't really understand them. And I was actually taught in my early days how to stay away from them. And uh, as I I was trained a bit differently. I met a guy named Wayne McCrory who really focused a lot on some of the training and some of my elders here in my community. Uh, you know, really taught me how to um, understand them, to understand their bear behavior, uh, you know, their, their, their habitat, um, yeah, you know, just, and it was, it was completely different. And, um, and I, you know, I think there's ways people can coexist with them. Uh, I just think uh, it's unfortunate. I think bears have a, have a bit of a bad rap and because um, all these stories that are out there and misconception, you got people that, you know, are writing these books, like trophy hunters writing these books saying they're bad and they're dangerous and shoot them. And, um, you know, I, I definitely think there's a way you can, you can know them. I mean, I, I've spent some, you know, some years, like I, I was one bear I spent 12, 13 years. I watched that bear from when she was a little cub until she had two or three stuff from her own cubs, you know, and they're just, I think they're amazing animals. And I think uh, at the end of the day, they just want to eat, sleep and poo and, uh, and do their business. And the last thing they're, you know, they're thinking of is to go and maul someone. And, uh, and so I think there's a way to give them their space, you respect each other. Uh, you know, I think there's a way it can work. All right. And the final question I want to ask, and this is a, significantly broader question that came up uh, as I was talking with a few people ahead of this interview. Um, And it's looking at some of the issues facing First Nations people. I think we're starting to see more. And by we, I mean uh, uh, white guys like me in urban centers far, far away. Um, And, you know, whether it's, you know, the the, the Dakota Access Pipeline uh, down south, it's the trophy hunt out west, it's, it's clean water crises in Northern Ontario. There are a lot of First Nations issues that we are finally seeing, I think, and, and truly having an opportunity to understand and empathize with in urban zones. What can we do, uh, both, you know, for, for the trophy bear hunts and the grizzlies and for First Nations people across our country and across our continent, um, when we, we, we see the injustices and we're finally able to understand and empathize, what can we be doing to help some of these big problems? I think there's a lot. I mean, I guess first and foremost, I think just acknowledging that these issues are just not First Nations issues. You know, I think these issues that we're battling for, you know, we're battling for everyone. You know, I think we're battling for the environment. We're battling for stewardship. We're battling for a lot of things. And the way I see it is, you know, we're all children of this planet and there's no plan B, this is it, you know, and I think uh, we start to, you know, like, we all have to take care of these areas, and, and, you know, in my culture, we've always had this belief that's passed on from my elders, you take care of the land, the land will take care of you, and, um, you know, unfortunately, you see these big corporations that just see money, and that's all they want, you know, they just want to come in here and cut down the trees, fish out the water, put oil, put gas, all those kind of things, and those are uh, some major threats that could jeopardize, uh, you know, the the beauty and, and, you know, what the land provides. And I think, um, you know, I think there's, all, there's a lot of ways, whether it's, you know, supporting, uh, you know, uh, First Nations directly through through some groups. Like there's one group called Raven. Uh, they've done some amazing work for us that, that have, have supported us in some of our work. Um, and that stands for respecting Aboriginal values and environmental needs. Um, there's groups like the Nature Conservancy that invest heavily in some of the, the conservation work that we're trying to do as well. Uh, but the way I see it, you know, we're doing it for everyone. And we're, we're you know, we're... Uh, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, we got to start to work together and, and hopefully uh, people power will, will prevail. You know, I think just letting people know what some of the issues are. And um, up until four or five years ago, you know, even issues like trophy hunting just weren't well known. And I know that when we, we first put a ban on trophy hunting in the Great Bear Rainforest, 
uh, people had no idea that there was even a hunt that even happened in British Columbia. So I think just paying attention to some of the issues and, and, and what's going on around them and, and, and supporting uh, the various groups that are doing it, whether it's supporting directly the First Nations group or supporting other environmental groups that help support some of our work as well. So. To learn more about the Kittisu High Highs First Nation, visit klemtu.com. That's K-L-E-M-T-U dot com. This grizzly bear trophy hunt is an emotional issue. Anger, frustration, and sadness are all to be expected as we discuss it. But please remember that our words do matter. Be smart and advocate for change, not hate or violence, even if it's just on a Facebook wall. I want to thank Inder for sharing his insights with us, Lush Cosmetics for all they do for the animals, and Douglas for making time in a very busy schedule to discuss some complex issues. Until next time, this is Michael Howie for Defender Radio reminding you to stay informed.